you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. All right, welcome everybody to the Huddle and Flow podcast presented by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and The Mint. I am Steve Weich, joined by my guy Jim Trotter. Um, and Jim, we are without our ace producer, Thomas Warren, this week. He is taking care of some family business, so shout out all love and respect to Thomas. Uh, but Jim, this is going to be a fantastic show. We know who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl. We know we're, gonna, we're getting ready to have a, an offseason of crazy quarterback movement. And, Jim, we got Robert Sala, the new head coach of the New York Jets. He will be joining us for this fantastic episode. So we are locked and loaded as the NFL gets ready to wrap up its 2020 season. Yeah, no, it's a strong show. You know, Robert Sala is such an impressive guy and the success that he had in San Francisco. Now moving over to take over a franchise that I think we know over the last decade, one winning, one, one winning season one postseason appearance, um, I think in three of the last four years, five or fewer wins. But that's a franchise that's hungry for success. That's a franchise, you know that fan base, Steve. Um, they don't like playing second fiddle to that other franchise in, in the same uh, area code there. So um, I think he's going to be that guy that's going to bring some stability to that, that, that organization. There's been a lot of dysfunction there in recent years. And if you know Robert Sala, you know how steady he is. You know how focused he is, um, how disciplined he is. So I expect that if out of any of these candidates who had been um, up for these jobs this year, I think that he's a perfect fit there. Yeah, he's just so impressive. And, and, you know, one of the things you said, and we've seen it in a couple spots, where guys have been able to come in and get their arms around just a crazy situation. You know, we saw Ron Rivera uh, with Jason Wright in Washington do it this season with everything they went through to kind of, just calm the waters a little bit. So, you know, they're hoping they can get that going with the Jets and steadily stack some wins 
on that. But Jim, let, let, let's get to the Super Bowl coming up. We have got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first team to host a Super Bowl, TB12, against the Kansas City Chiefs, um, who just look like an unstoppable force, especially with offense and the timeless, timeless of the plays that defense makes. But, I, Jim, I just can't get beyond the simple fact, when we look at all the matchups and everything, of Eric Bieniemy and Byron Leftwich, the two black offensive coordinators in the NFL facing off in the Super Bowl. And it's as in-your-face as it can be. It's something we talk about. Uh, we know Eric has interviewed for several head coaching positions. Leftwich has not hit that cycle yet. But just what about, I mean, I don't want to call this necessarily historic, even though that it is. Um, but just the fact that, yeah, you know, people of color can do this, right? They can do this during the Super Bowl. Here's your prime shining example. Yeah, I, I think, number one, what it does more than anything, it's going to continue the dialogue. You know, for all of those who have questioned why aren't diverse candidates getting head coaching jobs, and in particular, why aren't black men getting head coaching jobs, I think this week is going to elevate that conversation, particularly because Bruce Arians of the Bucks has an all-black coordinator staff. When you talk about Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, um, you know, and then Keith Armstrong. Keith Armstrong. So, um, so that's something that, that's going to get a lot of play this week. And, and it should, because as you and I have talked about repeatedly on this show, there are more than a few capable, qualified black candidates or diverse candidates to have head coaching opportunities. And I do believe the fact that Eric Bieniemy, it appears, is going to be shut out again, um, just speaks to the glaring inequity that's taking place right now. And the fact that Byron Leftwich doesn't even get an interview, but we know other coordinators with one year as a coordinator have gotten interviews or even gotten head coaching jobs. So um, for me, that's what I think is, is going to be one of the positive storylines this week is that people are going to um, have discussions about this with those, those coordinators there. And left calls plays, by the way. Byron left calls plays. He designs yeah. the offense. Um, so let's check that excuse off the books right now just to prepare everybody for the hiring cycle um, next year. Um, you know, Jim, we, we all see, you know, we, we talk about the, the coaching hires going on right now. So we've seen all of them filled except for the Houston Texans. All of these are guys who haven't been head coaches in the NFL. We know Urban Meyer, of course, was a head coach uh, at Ohio State, Utah, Florida. So when you kind of look at some of these situations here, and, and let's include Robert Sala in this, besides kind of the lack of diversity take here, what, what, is, what is kind of your thought when you see that, you know, Brandon Staley's going to the Chargers, Nick Sirianni's going to the Eagles? Just kind of your, your thought process of what we've seen so far. Well, my thought process is, is again, it's just how unfair um, this process is. And I realize trying to use the word fairness as it's associated with the NFL or even hiring practices um, is kind of silly on my part. But ultimately, that's what I come back to. You know, as, as you talk to these diverse candidates who do not get opportunities and you hear the anger, the frustration, the hopelessness, um, it, it, it just comes back to me. Just all you want is fundamental fairness in this process. And I don't think that's what we're seeing. The other thing that I would say to you, Steve, is how it's interesting to me how the target continues to be moved. You know, a couple decades ago, you had to be on the defensive side of the ball to get head, head coaching jobs, or at least your odds were increased if you were on the defensive side. Then we're told they're looking for young, creative, offensive minds. And now, lately, we're hearing, well, <clears throat> excuse me, they want the CEO type. 
And each time they do this, I say, number one, there are diverse candidates who fit all of those categories. So it's not yep. like we should be excluded. So when you say they're not being hi- hired for those reasons, that simply doesn't wash with me. So look, a handful of years ago, uh, Brandon Staley's coaching on a D3 level. You know, he's got one year as a coordinator in the NFL, and yet he's hired as a head coach. Nick Sirianni, I would say this to you. I, I, would, I would use this exercise to illustrate my point. Let's do blind resumes, okay? And let's take the resume of Nick Sirianni, and let's take the, the resume of Pep Hamilton. Take their names off of it. Just put them on a screen and ask the audience, which of these resumes would appear to be more qualified for a head coaching opportunity? And unless you know who those resumes belong to, I think you would have to say Pep Hamilton's resume uh, shows that he's more deserving of at least an interview, um, if not the job, than say Nick Sirianni got. And I'm not dumping on Nick Sirianni. I hope he succeeds in Philadelphia. I don't want anyone to get that twisted. I'm just saying I keep hearing about qualified and capable and fairness. And I'm just saying to you then, let's be fair about it. Let's be objective about it. And if we do that, um, I think we would see why uh, people like you, people like me, continue to speak out on this issue. And, and, and look, this is one thing. I'm glad you said it. We're not wishing anything no. but success for these people who are getting high. It is not Dan Campbell's fault that he got hired by the Detroit Lions, right? It is, it is none of these guys' fault. It is their good fortune that they were hired by these clubs. I will tell you, tell you this, the one takeaway I have, which is a little different and it will segue in, into kind of our next discussion, is the Detroit Lions, of course, to hire Brad Holmes as their general manager, the former Rams director of college scouting, a, a black GM. He immediately goes out and gets John Dorsey to come in and help. And then they hire Ray Agnew to help out in the personnel department. He comes over from the Rams, could not be more respected. Former player, great man. That is a huge, huge loss. And then they go about saying, Matthew Stafford and us, we're going to part ways. So they make a decision right now. They let the fan base know this is going to be a rebuilding process. We're going to go out and draft a quarterback. right? I think right now the Lions are seven. They're going to be able to move up if they have to to get their quarterback. And then they go about hiring probably the most diverse staff. All of their coordinators are black. They go out and they get Aubrey Pleasant, one of the best DB coaches in the NFL, to come in and get Jeff Okuda going. Um, and, and so they set a plan in place. It's been full disclosure of what they're going to do. And, and I just kind of like, I don't know if they're going to win or whatever, but I like the fact that they've been decisive. They're not hiding in hyper, hyperbole. And, and, the, and they're, they're, they're about, here's how it's going to be. So now you heard me mention Matthew Stafford, Jim. Parting ways. And you know teams are lining up right now to make that trade because there's going to be a ton of quarterback movement. Stafford, if Deshaun Watson becomes available, they're going to be the most sought after two people out there on the open market, at least right now. When you look at this QB movement, what are some of your thoughts? Because, I mean, immediately I think it comes to both of our minds is Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. <laughs> they are coming up with all kinds of formulas to get somebody to the 49ers. Yeah, I do believe that the 49ers are going to be players in the, in the quarterback market without question. Um, the other thing here, and I, I realize it, 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 it makes for great theater to talk about some of these things. Number one, as Mark Murphy said with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. So let's take no. him off the board. 
Number two, when it comes to Deshaun Watson, I think a lot is going to depend on who is actually hired there. And just talking to some people on background and whatnot, if Leslie Frazier is the hire and having an idea of who he wants to bring in as his coordinator, um, I believe that there would be an opportunity for Deshaun Watson to stay there. So in my, now this is just my math. So I'm taking Deshaun Watson off the board if Leslie Frazier is hired there. So who does that leave? That leaves Stafford, um, potentially Sam Darnold. Um, would San Francisco have interest in either of those? I think I, think I would say uh, uh, if I were in their shoes, yes, I would have some interest in that. Also, what's going to happen in Atlanta? You know, are they tied to Matt Ryan going forward or do they say, you know what, we're going to go through a rebuild process here and maybe it's time to 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 move Matt and, and increase our draft capital and whatnot and start to rebuild this thing. We know what Matt Ryan did with Kyle Shanahan uh, when they were together. They went to a Super Bowl and Matt was MVP. So that's why this offseason is going to be so intriguing to me. But I don't think some of the names that we're talking about are necessarily um, going to be on the move anywhere. It makes for great discussion, makes for great theater, but at the end of the day, um, as so often happens at, let's say, the trade deadline, things don't don't actually come to fruition that, that we spend so much time talking about. Yeah, Jim, there are going to be QBs on the move. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, we're expecting him to hit the market. What's going on with Sean McVay and Jared Goff and, and the Rams? Wait, let me, Very let me, interesting. Wait, wait, wait. Steve, let me address this one because this one is kind of a, I don't want to say a sore subject with me, but I think it, 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 it's worth discussing. So, so many of these owners now are looking for the next Sean McVay, right? Young, gifted, offensive mind and whatnot. Well, if Sean McVay is really the quarterback whisperer and he's got a player who was the first pick in the draft and he's been with him for several years now, and yet, as the general manager, Les Snead, comes out this week and says, essentially, we're not committed to him beyond this year, then I'm saying, and this is not to, in any way to dump on Sean McVay, but what I'm asking is, if he's that dude, that quarterback whisperer, then why can't he get Jared Goff to play up to the level of expectation that they have for him? And ultimately, what it comes back to for me is that the NFL is a player-driven league, and I don't care how good of a coach you are, if you don't have the players, you're not going to win. And that's why I think some of the, the diverse head coaches have been hurt in the past. And I go back to a Steve Wilkes who was fired after one year in Arizona. Right. And then, he, and then when he's fired, the new coach comes in and he has the number one pick in the draft. And he gets to go out and get the franchise quarterback that Steve Wilkes never had. So ultimately, in the end of the day, I think owners have to look at the fact that it ain't always the head coach. It's the people who are bringing in those players, too. And, and does that roster have enough, pers- you know, the personnel to actually win with? So there, I'm off my soapbox on that. But I just had to ask that question. And, and again, I think Sean McVay is fabulous. But man, if you're a quarterback whisperer and you got the number one pick in the draft and you've had him for several years now, why is it that you can't get enough out of him to do what you want to do and go where you want to go? Well, in defense of that, every other position group on that offense is Stepped up. Running back stepped up. Wide receivers are there. O-line played well through some injuries. Quarterback is one position that was on a treadmill. So is that the head coach or is that the player? So, again, Jared Goff started the Super Bowl. So this is interesting. Um, But you mentioned Sam Darnold. And 
on that note, let's bring in Robert Solik and let's ask him if Sam Darnold is his guy or if he's someone who could be in that mix and the Jets with the second pick could be on the market on that draft day to get themselves a quarterback. All right, Jim, now we're joined by someone we know well, someone uh, we're hoping is about to have a ton of success up there with the New York Jets, Robert Sala. Robert, good seeing you, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Congrats, Coach. No, I'm, thank you very much. It's, it's uh, surreal, but uh, it's, it's, it's been awesome so far. So, so far, it's, it's, so you're two, weeks, you're two weeks on the job, Robert. What, have been, what, what has that been like? Because we had Tony Dungy on a couple weeks ago, and he was saying, like, his first couple weeks on the job, he's trying to assemble a staff. He's got people asking, what type of hotels and stuff do you want to stay in? He's like, man, man let, me, let, you know, let me put these pieces in place first. No, there's uh, so we're, we're putting the staff together. We're meeting, trying to meet with Joe and his staff and uh, uh, just, you know, uh, I think Coach Kubiak said it best. Just it'll get done. Just take small bites. Uh, if you try to get it all done in one day, it's not going to uh, you, you'll, you'll realize you're going to get overwhelmed. And so uh, we've been just taking one day at a time, chopping off one block at a time and uh, or chopping down one tree at a time. Uh, but it is there's there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of things happening these first couple of weeks when you're trying to still assemble a staff and trying to still take a look at the tape and see what you've got with regards to players and, and, and personnel and all that. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts. Coach, how do you divide your day when you're dealing with that in terms of putting together a staff, in terms of evaluating your personnel? Um, can you lay it out for us? Yeah. Um, you know, there's... First and foremost, the, the two coordinators that we have here with uh, Mike LaFleur and Jeff Albrick are two guys I trust immensely. The assistant coaches, obviously, they're they're doing a really good job. They, they're very well connected to the schemes that we're trying to uh, implement. And so they know exactly what we're looking for. They know the language. They know how things work. And so there's a trust factor there with regards to how they look at stuff. Um, as for myself, you know, just, just taking time where I can in terms of uh, making the phone calls I need to make. Uh, making sure I'm uh, communicating with Joe and his staff, and making sure that I'm still staying connected to the uh, to our staff, to the football staff, and then uh, being able to sit back and watch a couple hours worth of film. So it's it is a nonstop day. Um, it's funny. My wife actually texted me uh, at six o'clock this morning. She was like, "What do you have to do in the office that you need to be there at six o'clock in the morning in the off season?" And I was like, "A lot." <laughs> so, so it starts early and late. She's not new to See, the game. Know, she, she's got to know it's twenty four seven, man. You know what? She she's <laughs> new to this part of it, so she's just curious. You know, it's more of a, a of a question. She knows that we 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 work many many hours, but she was just curious in this role. She's just, you know, I, I feel like she she's been here uh, since we uh, flew out here. She's been looking for a home, so she was just she's you know she's kind of learning at the at the same rate. She was just curious, so it's good conversation. She hasn't seen me in a couple of days, so it's uh, I guess she was trying to have conversation. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, no, no. Hey, Jim, here's the deal, though. Robert, as married men, we know that she just wants to make sure you're away so she can pick the house that she wants without any uh, of your input. <laughs> you know, <I'd, laughs> oh, man, I have no idea what house is going to get picked out, but I know it's going to be something beautiful. So it's uh, I'm just going to close my eyes and just say, write the check. Just take it. So <laughs> wives love to hear those words. Uh, man. She, she, she deserves, she, she deserves everything. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, she's, um, she can have whatever the heck she wants. So, you know, Robert, there'll be, a, 
there'll be a lot of coaches, um, aspiring head coaches, watching this this interview. And I wonder if you could take them inside an interview process in terms of, I know you've had a couple of years of interviewing and whatnot, but what is it about the process that maybe you didn't know that once you get in it, you can, you can advise these guys on of what to expect or how to prepare, better prepare for these opportunities? For sure. You know, there's, um, you, for me, it was about uh, being myself uh, and making sure that I wasn't trying to play up to what I knew what the expectations were with regards to fan experience, feedback, perception. Uh, uh, you, you go into these things knowing what each organization is ideally looking for. Um, but you just stay connected to yourself uh, and you lay out your plan. You lay out your plan with confidence. Um, uh, have a plan. That's that's the biggest thing. And understand that, you know, these the the people doing the interviewing they're they're very very experienced in terms of building a an empire if you will I mean there's they uh, these owners own these teams because they've been able to build something special and they've had plans to do it and it didn't just happen by luck and so just having the plan uh, being yourself uh, having conviction uh, in what you're talking about and just being very very clear and, and concise it's uh, and you know whether it's a match or not is uh, obviously up to the people you're speaking with but but those, those are the two biggest things is having a great plan and being yourself. Was there ever a moment you were kind of caught off guard where you said, I, I didn't, that was something I didn't prepare for, or couldn't prepare for? Um, you know, uh, each, each interview process is a little bit different. So, you know, you go through and, uh, uh, you know, there, some teams are very intimate in terms of having more of a family atmosphere with regards to having more people involved. Some teams are, uh, most teams have uh, a pretty standard way of doing it. And then, you know, some teams just come right at you and ask you some brutally honest questions and where it feels like you're, you're bobbing and weaving. And so, so there's, uh, you know, just be, be prepared for everything. But that's why I say that's just be yourself, have conviction in who you are, believe that there's a reason why you're sitting in, the, in that chair and there's a reason why they're asking you questions is because you're the best at what you do and have connection to yourself and, uh, and be yourself and, uh, have confidence that no matter what they do throw at you, you'll be able to bob and weave and answer the questions that you need to while laying out your plan and uh, uh, and revealing who you are without stumbling because you're connected. Uh, ho- hopefully, I'm making sense, and but uh, I just believe that when you when you're fully connected to yourself and you know who you are and you're not trying to be someone just to fit what mold uh, what the mold is that they're trying to cre- uh, capture. It's it's much easier to be authentic and true uh, because you're you're just letting them know who you are. You're not afraid of of what they might think. Robert, as a defensive coordinator, I mean, how was it? Because we know all these teams, it seems like they want the the, the hot offensive guy. How much did you have to say? Hey, look, I, I know offense. First off, I played offense in college. I coach against offense. You know, I coach against offenses. I know what to see. Was there a level of convincing? That you said you could just tell the teams like, don't worry about this. This part's going to be fine. I, you know, I don't know if there was convincing, but uh, there was definitely a plan for that side of the ball. Uh, I've been fortunate, right? I've, I've uh, since I got into the uh, NFL, I've I think ten of my se- ten or uh, more seasons have been with Kyle Shanahan and that Shanahan system and Gary Kubiak, and so I have an intimate uh, uh, connection to that uh, to that system. So having a plan for that side of the ball. Um, and laying out that plan was obviously important to a lot of the owners, especially if coming from the defensive side. But um, 
So I don't know if there was convincing as much as it was just kind of relieve, uh, releasing the plan and just giving them an idea of how I saw things, who I thought would be able to run the uh, uh, install the scheme as to, to the best of their ability and the in the vision that we wanted. And um, and and like I said, I, I think it was it was pretty easy uh, from that regard to show that there's still going to be a connection to the offensive side of the ball, despite myself being a defensive mind. You know, Robert, um, two years ago, you guys in San Francisco, when you were in San Francisco, were loaded defensively. That goes without saying. You go to a Super Bowl and whatnot. You come back last season. You lose to Forrest Buckner. Bosa goes down early. You've got 14 different starting combos in the secondary. I would argue that that was your best coaching job in your four years in San Francisco. Would you agree with that? And, and, and sort of what did you learn about yourself or previous experience that allowed you to have success with that unit despite all the injuries? You know, there's um, when the, the greatest thing about having continuity is that uh, the players grow with you as a football coach. You, you grow together. And so when, when we came in, you installed the scheme. We had a small bump from what we took over the second year. Uh, obviously, there, it was met with some resistance, but there was still another bump with regards to what we what we were able to accomplish. But as everybody was kind of connecting to the scheme and really understanding what we were trying to get accomplished on a play-in and play-out basis, we were able to inject it with those pass rushers. And uh, we got a, uh, you know, we brought Chris Kacarek in and he really took our D-line to another level and we were able to really mold the back end. Fred Warner started coming to his own. And, um, and because of it, we had a record-setting defense for, a majority of that year before we started having injuries during the Super Bowl season. Uh, fast forward to last year, a lot of credit with the uh, with with the coaching staff, the players, and understanding. Like I always tell people that you know if you when there's an injury, I want somebody to look at that backup and tell him that he's not a starter in this league. I promise you, he'll look at you cross-eyed because every player in this league believes that they're starting they're, they're starting caliber players. It's just a matter of giving them the opportunity to go do it. And because of the continuity and the, and the years and reps and time that we've all invested in one another with regards to the system, those guys were able to step in and still play at a very high level. And, it, and there's a lot of moving parts to that. There's the continuity and scheme. There's the assistant coaches who did a great job preparing guys constantly. And then, of course, the players to constantly stay connected and understanding that even though there are backups, there are no wasted reps. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel every week. So they to, to overcome all those injuries, we're able to step right in and uh, play off one another and still keep that level of standard that, that we always talked about. Robert, so you, you are with the Jets right now. I think, of course, the big question for Jets fans and around the league is Sam Darnold. I mean, is, is he your guy? And when you came in to interview with the Jets – were you mandated? Were they, did they tell you, hey, Sam Darnold's going to be here? Or, or, or how is that going to work? So, you know, it's the same thing that we've been talking about. You know, we just got here. Um, we're, we're just starting to watch all this tape, watch the personnel, uh, the personnel that's here, uh, quarterback, receiver, O-line, D-line, linebackers, DBs. So you're going through that entire process. Uh, what I can tell you about Sam is that he is an unbelievable talent. There's a reason why he was the third overall pick. It's very clear. Just watch the tape. I get production aside. Just watch the player. Uh, he's got tremendous mobility. He's got arm talent. He's fearless. He's smart. He's uh, quick. He's a good, precise decision maker. Uh, he's loved in the locker room. People adore him around this building. So he is a 
there's a reason why he's the third overall pick. And he's, I mean, let's be real, he's 23 years old, so he hasn't even scratched the surface of life yet. Uh, so there's there's a lot to Sam, but there's so many discussions that need to be had to, and so many moving parts with regards to the rest of the roster and the whole entire building, the the draft, free agency, all of it to to give an answer on where we are at that point. There's just with Joe and his staff. Um, uh, there's just a lot of discussions that have to be had, but at the same time with Sam, I, I'm not hiding behind the veil or anything. The kid's very, very talented, uh, and it shows on tape when you really just watch it. Results aside, you just have to watch his tape to really see how talented the young man is. So with those traits, does he fit into that Shanahan-Kubiak system that you were just talking about? Oh, yeah. No, they, they do. It's, um, I mean, the, just the, the arm talent. If you look at it, he would – he would instantly become the most mobile quarterback that the system's really ever had. I mean, it's um, aside from maybe Jake Plummer back in the day, or it was is it Jake Plummer when when he was back with Denver. Yeah, um, yep. it was so, Jake. Yep. Yeah. So just from a mobility standpoint, you know, that he to be able to create off schedule the way he does, he'd probably be one of the better ones that the system's ever had. Uh, a lot of the, you know, you traditionally you see Aaron Rodgers, you see uh, who's having a renaissance, Matt Ryan's best uh, years. Uh, even Jimmy uh, at San Francisco, Jared Goff, uh, Tannehill, uh, they're, they're not the, they're, they're, they fit into a mold, but Sam's got the ability to create off schedule. Again, his arm talent on the run is uh, up there with the best of them. And so he's, he's got a tremendous talent to him and, and he would definitely fit because of his ability to process information and get the ball in and out of his hands in a timely manner. And that at the velocity and the accuracy at which he's able to do it. You know, Robert, we used to see young quarterbacks sit the bench for a year or two, and now they come in and they play right away. In your mind, is that a positive, or is it unique to each individual? Well, it depends. It is unique to each individual. Um, you know, there's two ways to look at it. You can say, all right, um, we're going we're gonna to draft a rookie, and he's going to grow with the roster. Or you can look at it the way Seattle did, where the roster was already built, and then Russell came in and the roster was able to carry Russell until he was comfortable to take the team over. Um, and so there's there's two ways to look at it. And it is it depends on where you are, depends on the talent of quarterback that's available and whether or not it's time to go grab that guy. There's just there's there's more than just, oh, here's a great quarterback. It's all right. Can he handle the roster at its state versus a hey, this roster is really, really strong and it can handle his growing pains because of how strong the rest of the roster is. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, you know, and it's uh, to, to answer your question. It is to answer your question, unique to each individual and each scenario that, that gets created. Now real quick, wow. there's a quarterback who's just, who, who, who's been linked to you guys. He's, he's not on your roster right now, but um, you guys do have the, the number two overall pick, the 23 overall pick. I think it's six of the first 98. So, um, he's a mobile guy. He's got arm talent. Put up some of the best numbers in the NFL this year. Would you guys, in discussing some of this, be open to possibly exploring scenarios to, say, bring in a quarterback from another team who's thrown to guys like DeAndre Hopkins and guys like that? You know, it's uh, – no, it's – We'll, we'll never talk about a player from another team. That's first and foremost. But it, it goes back oh, to this whole. Oh, you know, Robert. When we talk about, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, but when you do talk about, you know, we talk about all gas, no break, right? And we talk about it being a way of life and, and, and doing things to the best of your ability at all hours of the day, finding a way to go to bed better than when you woke up. 
Um, whether you're a coach, whether you're in ticketing, whether you're in the mill room, whether you're in the equipment room, weight room, player, it doesn't matter. We're always trying to find ways to get better. And, uh, and so all those discussions, there's, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of time before April to, to have a million different discussions. And wherever those discussions lead are, are where we're going to go in terms of making the best decision to get our organization better. He's a head coach already, Jim. He's a head coach already, man. Good answer. No, he's been well-trained. <laughs> Speaking of that, Robert, I, I wanted to transition for a second into this whole coaching, um, this hiring process in the NFL. And we all know that right now there are only four diverse head coaches in the NFL. And I'm going to put you on the spot here, but um, I think you're, you handle yourself well enough. You'll bob and weave to be able to handle it, as you said. But why is the NFL having such a hard time hiring capable qualified, diverse head coaching candidates? Um, you know what? I know the result's not what everyone's looking for. That's clear. But what I do know, and, and you just see it, the, the league office, the owners, it is important. They're implementing as many rules as possible. They're bringing in all these different incentives. They're creating ways to get more uh, minorities FaceTime with, these, with owners. Um, and I would imagine that after this year, there's going to be more rules. There's going to be more uh, uh, areas where we can create more FaceTime. And that's the whole thing is getting FaceTime, good quality FaceTime where those things can happen um, to where we get it to where we want. And, you know, there's why the results not happening. I, I don't have that answer, but I do know that the league is relentlessly working to try to get it right. Uh, and I do know that just talking through these interviews and going and having different conversations with these owners on um, I forget how many interviews I did, but uh, each one of them, it was at the forefront of their mind. It was very important, the social justice, having those conversations and going through all those different things. And so I know it's important to them. You can see that it's important to the league office. And there's there's no doubt that eventually it's going to get right. It's just it's maybe it's not happening as fast as everybody wants, but I, you can just see that people are putting in the work. Well, Robert, what's interesting to me is like Steve and I focus on this a lot in terms of trying to level this playing field and, cre and make sure that people who are qualified and capable get opportunities. And, and people say to us all the time, why do you guys talk about race so much? And we say we would rather not talk about race, but the reality is these coaches can't speak up for fear of retribution. And so could you, as a diverse coach, speak to maybe these conversations you have with your, your colleagues about the frustrations that they feel, maybe the anger that they feel, or even in sometimes conversations I have, the hopelessness that they feel about this process, knowing that even a guy like an Eric Bieniemy, whose resume seems to say he's more than qualified and, is, and has earned an opportunity but can't get it, looks like he's going to be shut out in this process. Can you speak to these fans out here or to the public and say what these coaches are feeling and what those conversations are like? You know, um, that's a good question. Um, it, it's, I, can, I can imagine the frustration. We all can. Um, the, the biggest thing is to just remain confident and faithful and, fa and have faith in, in, in what's unseen. So I've always, I've always believed that there's, there's two types of people. There, there are those who believe and there are those who have faith. People who believe need to see things happen before it happens. People who have faith know it's going to happen. And you look at guys like EB, he's going to be a head coach. Uh, he's too talented. There's no freaking way um, that he won't be 
and maybe it's not this year, but it's going to happen. Um, and there's going to be movement. There's going to there. They're starting to move. Uh, minorities are starting to move up in terms of position coaching jobs, coordinator jobs, all that stuff. And uh, even at the quality control level. So uh, very confident that that's going to happen. Uh, I get that it's frustrating, but you can't ever let your frustration boil over to negativity. It's you got to have a positive mindset and still really have appreciation because at the end of the day, we're still very blessed to be where we are. Um, and at the same time, just continue to do your job, be the best that you can possibly be, and just know that eventually your talent will rise to the uh, top. And that's, you know, the cream will always rise to the top, and, and uh, Eric being one of them. We've got, we've got four diverse head coaches now, but when we look at their staffs, coordinator positions, there are no minorities there. And so the question becomes, if we won't look out for our own, how can we expect someone else to look out for us? And I know that's a tough no, question, but I did want to put no, it to you. No, absolutely. Because um, when you get the the biggest thing, uh, when you talk pipeline, all right, when you talk pipeline and you talk th about things at the quality control level, the most intimate relationship that's made between coordinator and coach is at the quality control level. That's where that 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 relationship happens. And to be able to get those quality controls in position to have those relationships, they're the ones who talk with the head coach and the and the uh, quality and the uh, coordinators the most. And so when you look at these guys who are ascending pretty quick, I'll, I'll use D'Amico Ryan's at uh, San Francisco. He came in as our as our quality control. He and I had a tremendous relationship. He bumps to linebackers coach. Our relationship gets even stronger. His uh, relationship with the uh, head coach gets even stronger, and we, I, I get this opportunity here, which is a blessing. And then D'Amico slides right in. And so from a, from a level of trust and a level of pipeline, if you talk pipeline and communication, the quality control of it, it might take two or three years. It might uh, to really get to where we want to go, but that quality control level, getting minorities into those spots so they can build that intimate relationship with their coordinator, with the head coach, that's where the rapid growth happens. And uh, where you're able to, from the ground up, uh, build a resume with regards to networking, uh, the foundation, all of that stuff. And so uh, when you look at, uh, uh, for us here, we're, we're trying to do that here with the, with the quality controls that we've hired here and trying to give them opportunities to build those relationships so they can continue to grow and go up the pipeline uh, in a way that's, that, that we know uh, that they can step right in and build a, build a system. Robert, it's interesting that you say that because Doug Williams and, and Shaq Harris and guys like that who've really been trying to, to push the league and push teams have said the quality control because that's usually where the nepotism um, is, right? The, the, the sons of the coaches or the uncles or wh whatever, the nephews, that's usually the jobs they get. Next thing you know, they're up in the pipeline and they're the play callers. You were at the quarterback coaching summit um, in 2020. It was virtual, but you saw the diverse talent that was there. I mean, you know, from, you know, guys who, are, who have who've gotten jobs or coordinator positions to whatever. What about, you know, experiencing that and just seeing, you know, the Garrick McGee's of the world and guys like that who, you know, are super smart and, and now can network to get in positions like that or establish relationships as to where say, okay, hey, I might lose a QB coach in a year. I want to have this guy in that pipeline that you're talking about. You're right. So 
uh, th that goes back to what I'm talking about with regards to relationship and trust. And so there are a million there. there that QB summit was phenomenal in terms of the amount of uh, men and uh, uh, diverse candidates that were that were readily available. Garrick McGee, now uh, notwithstanding, uh, he's phenomenal. Um, but when you're coming in as a new staff and you're trying to piece together, put together pieces, there is slightly a, a comfort level because of the relationships, one that were built to the understanding of how you operate as an individual, three, the scheme, understanding the scheme part of it. And so there's a seamlessness because you don't have much time to get it going. Now, as you go, uh, do you, uh, and people start moving, that's why I'm getting back to this quality control spot in terms of building those relationships. So when people do get promoted and you do have success, they're the ones sliding in. They're the ones moving up to that next level of uh, uh, from a coaching standpoint. And then then you're able to start pulling in once it, once you've established, you can start pulling in from from the outside to uh, allow your organization to, to grow in a different way. But um, from an initial get uh, and just from a relationship standpoint, that quality control, and you already hit it, Steve, but that quality control, I don't think people give enough credit to how important it is with regards to just the overall relationship that's built uh, in terms of getting that, creating that fast track pipeline um, up to the position that, that we all desire. I just want to ask you, if you um, with the Jets, you know, we, we know the struggles that they've had the past couple of years. What is what is the process now in building? Because you went through it with the Niners, right? Remember those first two years? You talked it was a slow burn, slow burn, and then there was the spike. Is that kind of the timeline, or at least the process you're you're trying to establish there to slowly build credibility, slowly build the culture, and then boom? Well, you, you never know when it's going to explode uh, next year, two years, three years from now. But what I do know, uh, just just from past experience uh, and just my opinion. But when you look at Houston with Gary Kubiak and Rick Smith and the success they were able to build and a couple of really good uh, playoff runs, you go to Seattle with uh, Snyder and um, uh, Pete and what they were able to build. And then obviously San Francisco with Kyle and uh, John. The common denominator in all those buildings was the collaborative communicating effort. There's the collaborative effort between uh, general manager and his staff, head coach and his staff, and just the vision of what we were trying to accomplish on both sides, on all three sides of the ball. And obviously with regards to scheme and vision for what type of players that uh, we coveted. And so just having that constant communication is what really created that, that culture and how those teams were able to flip by year three, if you will. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, to give you a timeline, uh, I don't know what that timeline is, but going through this interview process, Having those conversations with Christopher and now Woody um, and then uh, uh, Joe and, and Jaime, there's no doubt that this is a very collaborative uh, mindset. Uh, there's no doubt that they were looking for a partner in their head coaching search. Uh, that's how it felt. That was a communication and everything through these first two weeks are proving that. Uh, and I, and there's, there's no reason to think that it would be anything else. And uh, so one thing I will tell you is it's, it's the communication and the collaborative effort that uh, in my opinion, is needed to build a strong winner is definitely happening here. And, and to give you time, I don't know, but I do have tremendous amount of confidence in the fact that we'll win championships here. You know, Robert, um, we hear so much the word culture. How do you define it as it relates to a football team? Um, so culture, everyone's uh, culture, culture I, I'm with you. You hear that word. The best 
coach teams are the teams that coach themselves. And so always respecting the name on the front of the jersey first. And what type of person are you trying to bring in? Not just player-wise, but on your staff, um, in the business side, on the uh, scouting side. Like, what does this person represent when you look at the, uh, the name on the front of the jersey? And uh, bringing those people in constantly because you trust that at the very least, you're going to have a, a character that's going to overachieve based on their talent level at all levels. And I'm not just, like I said, not just talking about players. Uh, and so if you bring in enough of these people that represent the name on the front of the jersey, you trust that the culture will eventually take over because they'll start policing it themselves. And when they start taking that ownership in the organization and they start believing that they actually have, and, and they do, when they understand that they are every part of what the result is on the football field is um, anyone else, and they feel that ownership and they feel that investment and all of that stuff gets reciprocated, it becomes very personal. So. I believe that culture is very personal. I think it's. Uh, I think culture is about investment, and I think that when everybody is invested in one another, you create that mindset of that that personal atmosphere where people just want to do more for one another. And uh, and then it goes back to when that starts happening, the team starts coaching itself. You know, one of the things you said during your press conference that really struck stuck with me was sort of following your passion. And the backstory is that you know you played in Northern Michigan. You go into the financial sector. Um, your brother is actually in, a, in one of the towers during, um, or, or was working down in lower Manhattan during 9-11. There's that fear that he was in one of the buildings. Um, thankfully, he was not. And after that, you decided to get out of the, the financial sector and follow your heart and go into football. And seeing now how much you love this game, um, why not go into it right away? you know, when you came out of college as opposed to going into the financial sector? Yeah. Um, so my brother was in the, he was in the second tower, uh, 61st floor um, and managed to get out. But um, that is a good question. It's, um, it's, it's that uh, um, young, youthful, uh, wanting money for the first time in your life. Uh, uh, opportunity to get into the world of making money and owning your own car and owning your own place and, and kind of being independent and free of your parents finally. And, uh, you know, so that was the initial burst uh, to, was to, to do what everyone else does when they finish college. And that's going to the business world, make money, move out of your parents' house and move on. And um, thankfully for myself, I had such a great support system with my mom and my dad, my brothers and sisters uh, I, I was able to take a risk on myself and, and make six fifty a month uh, and, and try to make ends meet while I pursued my passion. I, I, to me, that's so strong, I, I think, because everyone has a purpose in life. And um, I don't know that you can fully be happy if you're not following whatever you feel that purpose is. So it, it comes through in what you're doing now. And um, so I think it's a positive lesson and a powerful message for young people out there as well. No. Absolutely. You know, when, when you when you love what you do, it'll love you back. And um, and that that goes with with everything. If you you love your wife, she'll love you back. If you love your kids, they'll love you back. And so if you do things with love, it'll love you back. And so that's always, always if you don't love what you're doing, I promise it's going to be a negative aspect in your life. So do what you love and love what you do. And and you'll have the enthusiasm and passion to do it. So. Right on. Hey, so, okay, so Robert, let's have a little fun here. So, you know, a lot of the public has seen you, you know, with when your defense makes big plays, rah, 
you know, you're giving it up like this on the sidelines. Can you can you do that as an HC now, or do you have to be like the stoic, uh, you know, dude right there? Like I can't show that anymore because I'm the guy in control. I'm not going to lie to you. There, there's no way I'm not going to have enthusiasm on the sideline now. I am very aware of what I'm <laughs> that and, you know as a coordinator. I know that I don't have to worry about fourth down. I don't have to worry about timeouts or red flags or anything like that. So um, I know I'm going to have to quickly transfer. Uh, but one thing I do know is I can control my emotions, um, and uh, and I will I will show emotion on the sideline. But it's it's not going to be the I, I know I'll be able to get myself back uh, quickly to make sure that I'm always making the best decision for the team and keeping myself in, uh, engaged. So. Um, it's hard. I mean, when you get on game day and you've put in all that work during the week and, um, and you're seeing these young men go out there and, and play their butts off and, and sacrifice their bodies and, and play this game where every collision is like a car accident and you see them make a play that can only help their future, you can't help but let out joy. I mean, it's, you're, I, I don't know how you're, it's hard for me. I can't speak for anyone else. It's hard for me not to, to express that outwardly. Um, and so I, I, I know that's still going to come out, but, um, but like I said, I, I'm fully aware of all the different responsibilities that a head coach might have. So I'll have to get pulled back in pretty quickly. So I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> coach, be authentic. I think you said it earlier, be yourself, be authentic. You know? No doubt. So. No doubt. Taking over the Jets is one of those special franchises, I think, in the NFL, going back historically and whatnot. Have you felt that in your short time now as head coach already, whether through anything you've heard from the fan base or anyone in the organization? That it's, it's, it's crying out. I don't have to tell you. It's so hungry for success. Um, has there been something that, that, that reminded you of just what you've stepped into there in that franchise? You know, the, uh, the media obligation already. <laughs> but uh, with the fan base. The fan base is so passionate. You know, I, so I went to Michigan State, got my master's from there, have a strong connection to Michigan State. Go green, right? And uh, when you look at Michigan State fan base versus Michigan fan base, it's very similar to what you see in New York, uh, if you think about it. You know, there's uh, Michigan's more, you know, we always make fun of Michigan for kind of being more the the uppity-ups, sit in your hands where the Spartan fans are a little bit more rambunctious, a little bit more passionate, a little bit more, they're louder. Like, we always say that the, uh, a loaded stadium in East Lansing is a hell of a lot louder than a loaded stadium at the big house. Um, but at the same time, so when you get here, you just feel that. Uh, when we've played the Jets in the past versus, you know, the Giants, no disrespect to them, they're absolutely a phenomenal franchise. But the Jets fan base has is a lot more feels more invested, I should say. They feel more invested in the way they are just so passionate about their team. And um, and so to be a part of this is is like, it's like home for me. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, it's what I feel like I've always been a part of everywhere I've been with regards from my high school and the passion that they have, the, the people in the community have for that school, uh, college and all that stuff. So uh, excited to be a part of this thing and excited to get this thing moving in the right direction. Jim, don't you love how he says a loaded fan base in Lansing and a loaded fan base in Ann Arbor? I think those college students' definition of loaded might be a little bit different than ours right now. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, so, uh, so, Robert, okay, so, 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 so here's one. Cause I remember we spoke, I think it was before you guys had a playoff game against New Orleans a couple of years ago, and you're running the steps you do pregame. You had the, the playlist in. At that time, you had like a, 
a, a Latin playlist, right? You were getting like, you know, some some salsa <laughs> going in the blood before you, you were getting there. Do you have a consistent playlist when you do that? Because I know on my workout list, I've got about 180 songs and it just, it shuffles, but I know the songs that are on there. Do you have a consistent or do you mix it up? You know, I, I, there, I do have one that I, I feel like I've had, I got I to gotta update it. Maybe maybe I'll get it updated this time around, but I've been doing, you know, I'll, I'll mix in some 80s music. I've got my uh, salsa music. I, I, I mix it up. But there's one that I always go back to that's just kind of eclectic and that it, it hits almost every genre that you can possibly imagine. So, All right. We got that. All right. Now, Jim, here's the one thing. So I did, I did a piece last year on Robert before the Super Bowl, and, and Kyle Shanahan just could not get off this van Robert had specially <laughs> built. Okay, he's got, okay, so Robert's got six, he's got six kids, number seven is on the way, all right, and you, you, were, you were telling us off air that it is, it is en route to Florham Park, but it's like a Batmobile, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, this, it's a big black van, my wife feels like it, people look at her like she's a creepy stalker, and, uh, but I love it, kids love it, they all got their own plush seat back there, and um, a big old TV, they're lucky. I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to spoil my kids too much. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get them to kind of go the way we did when we were younger, where we had to go the hard way and walk to school and uh, ride, our, ride our bike to the park to play baseball or whatever it was. But it's a different, different world, man. <laughs> it's, it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We always spoil, we always spoil our kids because we want them to have more than what we have. And then, There's I'll no speak personally, then you – you look back on yeah, it after gonna, they're grown and you say, yeah. Yeah, Go I was going to say, because my, my dad looks at us and say, man, you guys were spoiled. I'm like, I mean, I had cardboard boxes to play with. What are you talking about? But I look back at it and his, <laughs> I mean, there was 10 kids in a 1,500 square foot house when he was younger. And so living in a basement practically. Uh, so I, I recognize that. And we, you're right, uh, Jim, you, you do things for your children and hopefully your children can pick off, pick up where you left off and do more for their children and so on and so forth. And eventually you hope they move up the, uh, you know, they continue to build the family, you know? Absolutely. But tell me that, well, Robert, tell me this, what are the freaking tussles like with six kids in the house? I mean, do they rumble? Are they like real rambunctious? Are they, are they like solid kids? Oh yeah. They're, they're definitely solid kids. You see the, the funniest one is, um, our three-year-old, he doesn't realize yet that he's that there's an off, there's a no-hit uh, uh, rule on our three-year-old, Mikey. So no one's allowed to touch him. So he just goes around hitting everybody, beating up on everyone, and they all understand the rules. Like, no one's allowed to hit Mikey yet. But that, that, that halo is about to be removed because he's about to turn four, and at four, he's free game. So he's uh he has no idea what's about to happen to him <laughs> but, but the other three the three oldest boys they get after each other but it's all in good fun i always tell them keep it below the neck above the waist you guys have fun but take always they, the one thing they did they do understand is they take care of each other to the fullest and especially uh the the, the two little girls they they got their her back and as long as they understand that i don't care what they do to one another because as long as they got each other's back they'll be all right Always coaching, man. Always coaching. <laughs> you got to love it. My hey, wife Jim, hey, Jim, he's got to. Like she wants them in their corners, just watching TV on their iPad. I was like, get them out of the house. Go go play football, basketball, do something. Beat up on each other. I mean, it's their kids. I remember me and my brother, we'd fight every day, but there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. So. 
you gotta you gotta you gotta love Roberts. Like strike zone, see what you hit, head up. You know, don't no, no, no have the head down. <laughs> he's, he's, he's gotten coached up already. Uh, hey, well, Robert, man, you know how much you know how much Jim and I respect you. We wish wish you the best of luck in turning things around there and getting everybody on the same page. We appreciate you taking it, take some time and joining us here on the Huddle and Flow. No, thank you guys so much. It was awesome. I really appreciate it, Jim, Steve. Awesome. No, uh, wishing you all the success, man. So you've earned it, and. Um, got a lot of people rooting for you so we're pulling for you no i appreciate you it's uh we're gonna win here there's no doubt in my mind we're gonna win here so it's gonna be it's there it's there's too many good people here for it not to what an impressive guy steve i i think that's why and i hate to even bring this up but when you saw a report that he's that robert sala struggled in an interview i just laughed to myself you yeah. cannot, anyone who has talked to this man knows if there's one person who is not going to struggle to to represent himself and what he is about and his vision, it's Robert Sala. And I do believe that the Jets made the right hire in this one because for an organization that has had so much turmoil in recent years or the last decade, I do believe he is that stabilizing presence who has a vision, um, understands what his purpose is and will bring people along. So um, I know we're not supposed to say we root for people in this business and whatnot, but I do root for Robert Sala to be successful. Well, 100%, and Jim, we know him well. I mean, we've known him through the years and we've seen his rise, right? Remember after year two with the 49ers, people are like, is he the guy? And Jed York and John Litz like, oh no, he's the guy. We just gotta get him some more players because he's on that move. And we both talked to Richard Sherman about this. Sherman was with him in Seattle when he was like a defensive quality control coach and he's like man where he is what he's taken over the past few years and learned and learned and then applied is going to be so good for him becoming a head coach because he's always a guy who's going to adapt and I think that's absolutely fantastic I, I think Sala is going to be just such a, I think the teams that that passed on him are going to a couple of them are going to regret it because he's going to be a guy who's going to bring some stability to that organization. Uh, and you know what, Jim? Bless his wife's heart. <laughs> <laughs> Bless his she, she talked about she, she's got that van, she's got the gangster Batmobile. Uh, you know, she's out shopping, she's got those kids. Um, and he always speaks so highly of her because he knows how important she is to his success, to raising, helping him raise those kids and, and to allow him to kind of fulfill his dream. So, Mr. Sala, shout out to you and everything you got going on. Um, and Jim, uh, before we tease our, our next guest, who's a former NFL player who's made a hell of a transition into life, I just want to say just a, a quick blessing uh, and sorrowfulness and, and everything. A dear friend of ours in the community, uh, Seku Smith, uh, who was at NBA.com and NBA TV, a, a dear friend and a longtime colleague of mine, especially for those of us who covered the NBA. He passed at 48 um, on Tuesday because of COVID. It's real, people. It's real. Um, mask up. This is still with us. We know the vaccine is coming, but this is still with us. It impacts lives. This is crushing, right? So, again, we all want our rights. We all want to walk around without a mask, but let's just keep doing what we have to do until we feel safe because this, this hits hard uh, to a lot of us. And again, shout out to Heather, his now widow, their three kids, and love to all the brothers and sisters who, 
who have wrapped their arms around that family in this real tough time. Yeah, I did not know him personally. I only knew of him. But just reading some of the tributes from you and others who have covered the NBA um, speaks to what kind of man and what kind of person he was. So definitely um, thoughts and prayers with his family and friends. You know, and as we get out of here, Steve, again, you know, I want to I want to let our our one third of the Howard mob, Thomas Warren, know our producer that um, we're thinking about him. We're thinking about his family and praying for the best. So with that, Steve, let's do this. You know, um, to all of you listening, all of you watching, we thank you. Um, Please continue to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us messages on what it is you would like to hear, who you would like to hear from, the topics you would like us to discuss. And that way, we can give you more of what you're funking for. And that's right, Jim. And on that Hell and Flow, we're also a cup coming. Namde Asimwa, the former Oakland Raider who's now transitioned into the acting world. Sylvie's Love is still one of the best movies. Agreed. I have seen uh, during our pandemic streaming stream, streaming watching spree. Um, so absolutely fantastic. So we're looking forward to that. But we want to thank Robert Sala for joining us. And we also want to thank Intuit, our proud sponsor. And we know Intuit, they're the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. We want to thank them for supporting us and keeping the huddle and flow rocking and rolling here, where you listen, where you watch. And again, shout out to Thomas Warren, one-third of the Howard Mob. For Jim Trotter, I'm Steve Weich, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.